There are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. Chai FM, welcome to our program today. This is Soul to Soul on Chai FM on Friday afternoon. Erev Shabbos Kodesh Pashas Vayakel Pekudei Pashas HaChodesh. And the Erev Rosh Chodesh Nisan. What an amazing, amazing day. We're about to enter Chodesh Nisan, which is the Rosh Chodeshim, the chief of all the, of all the months. And Bez Hashem will speak a little bit about it later, but let's start off with a, a story, let's, a story for our women, our women listeners. It says that uh, uh, Rabbi Yishayel Moskat from the city of, of Parnach, so he was uh, one of the great Talmidim of the Kojin Samagid. So uh, he was zeichet to a very, very interesting wife. To be used to say, you know, they always ask, uh, uh uh, is this matzah isha matzah toiv? Is a woman a good find something good, or is it matzah imami mavis? Or is a worth a woman can be sometimes very very difficult. So this woman, from morning to night, she was busy going here and there with a big thick sitter in her hand, and she was busy dominating. She was busy all the time saying saying to him. When Avshayla came back from from Shachos in the morning and he wanted some breakfast, she she uh, kind of hinted to him, no, she's in the middle of davening. And when it came time to for, to have lunch, she said, no, she hadn't finished yet her, her set amount of of uh, of tehillim, and she had to say, mamodis of that of that of that day. And when Avshayla wanted a, a hot cup of tea on a very very cold day, she she said to him, no, that uh, you know. Uh, uh, she doesn't have time now to be involved in physical, in physical things. So Shaila uh, was uh, a very, very placid kind of person, and he, and he you know, put up with with his uh, with his uh, with his wife. And you know, uh, uh, but one time he decided to just say something. He said to you know, the the Chazal tell us that. Who's considered to be a, a Isha Kshera, a good woman? Someone who does Ritzain Bala, someone who does the, the will of, of, of her, of her, of her husband. So, the wife heard that, but she wasn't too impressed. And she said to him, look, you gotta understand that I, I can't help you. I can't be involved in these things because there's another rule in, in Halacha. And that is a oisek the mitzvah. Someone's busy with a mitzvah. Part of a mitzvah. They're exempt from another mitzvah. I'm busy davening. I'm busy saying to them, I'm not available to do anything for you. So Rav Shaila answered very, very softly. And he said, you know, we're reading this week about the Melechus HaMishkan. And the Melechus HaMishkan, the women were involved also. In fact, the Pasuk says, V'chol ha-noshim ha-she-nosa all the women who were busy, who had the chokhmah to do it, they were busy weaving the, the, the goat hair, incredibly difficult thing, thing to do. And it's brought down that there's only one other place in the whole Tanakh 
where the same word v'chol anoshim is is used, and that is in the Megillah Esther, where it says v'chol anoshim yitnu yukar levalein. All the women have to give honor and respect to their to their husbands. So we see from here that even the women, the tremendous chasidas of, of, of women who are busy in 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 the malach of of. Uh, of uh, weaving the 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 goat hair for the malishka uh, for the mishkan, they also are not allowed to exempt themselves from this this mitzvah of uh, of of giving yakar lebalein of giving respect to their to their husbands and to do the will of their husbands at every time at every moment. Of course, our our nashim tzurkaniyas, our beautiful women, uh, manage to marry them both, and of course. Uh, spend significant time doing doing mitzvahs and and, and learning and, and and chesed and all the wonderful wonderful things, but of course at the same time try to make themselves free to do what needs to be done. Look after their family, look after their husbands, look after the after the beautiful children that that they they, they may have, and and to find this kind of fusion of chol anoshim of being part of that group of women that also have the chokhmah to be able to serve our Kaddish Baruch in the way that they know how, and at the same time, to, to do what needs to be done in the realm of the of, of the physical. Just an intro, we'll be back in a moment with more interesting discussion on the Pasha. This is 11.9 Chai FM, Soul to Soul, and this is the greatest radio station in all of Africa. There are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul on a Friday afternoon, Erev Shabbos, Kedish, Pashas, Vayakel, Pekudai, also Pashas, Achedish, also Erev, Rosh, Nisan. Amazing, amazing time of year, and thank you so much to all of you for joining us and spending a few minutes of your very busy Friday afternoon uh, listening to the radio or online, wherever you might, wherever you might be. So let's, we have a double Pasha this week, Vayakel and Pekudai. So let's mention something from the second Pasha. You know, sometimes when you have two Pashas, the second one gets a little bit forsaken because, you know, uh, 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 you know, people are so busy with the first Pasha, uh, that they don't get to the second one. So the, the, the Pasha describes how the Mishkan finally has been built and it was brought to Moshe Rabbeinu and Moshe Rabbeinu saw and it says, Vayar Moshe is kolam locha. Moshe saw all the work the Inei also I saw, and they had done it, Hashem is Moshe, exactly in the way that Hashem had commanded Moshe, and the Pasuk ends, Vayivorech Oisa Moshe. And Moshe benched them, Moshe blessed the, 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 the people that had been busy making the Mishkan. Rashi teaches <coughs> that Moshe Rabbeinu's bracha was, May it be the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that the Shekhinah should rest on the work of your hands. Right? May, may, may the, the pleasantness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu be upon us. And what, what greater bracha could there be 
than knowing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Shechina, His very divine presence, rests upon the work that they've done. Right? One can have no greater first prize than having the, the, the Shechina, the divine presence, crown the finished product that you've done. Now, how did the people, the craftsmen, yes, there were there were motivated people, there were people we know who didn't necessarily have those skills, but because they, they, they volunteered and because they came forward, because they wanted to be involved in this very, very holy work, they were given the skills. But still, how do the people warrant such an extraordinary bracha from my Rabbeinu? Absolutely, they were sincere in their, in, in their contributions and all the Nadavas, all the donations they gave where there was their best material or, 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 or the, their own skills themselves was obviously all the shame Shemayim for the sake of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There was no self. There was no individual. No one was doing this for his own ego. It was all for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right? And when one when one's intentions in whatever he's doing are pure, then he gets he gets a, a, a bracha. Listen to the story. Growing up in Antwerp, Belgium, this was still before World War Two, let's call him let's call him Chaim. Chaim purchased a, a, a piece of land in in Benebrak. <laughs> The furthest thing from anyone's mind that Yid was going to be going there, he bought a piece of land in Bnei Brak. Now, when the the winds of war were were beginning to 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 blow, he, like many many other other Jews, fled Belgium and went to France. And of course, it didn't take very long before the cursed Nazis moved their war machine through Western Europe, reaching France. Those Jews who were fortunate enough to be able to escape, so managed to find a safe haven in other, in other countries. This Chaim, this, this Yid from Antwerp, was able to escape to Portugal, where he rebuilt his life. Unfortunately, not necessarily in in accordance with the with the dictates of the of, of the Torah. The Jewish community in Portugal was very small, and uh, at that point comprised primarily of of refugees, and they were found themselves in a country that at best tolerated their Jewish immigrants. The best way to earn a living and raise a family was to, you know, acculturize them themselves and, and eventually completely assimilate. And of course, once one begins to descend into, 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 into the abyss, so it, it becomes a, a, a free fall situation very, very quickly. Chaim soon forgot his religious upbringing, he stopped keeping Shabbos and, and Kashrus and certainly davening and tefillin went, went by the wayside and almost to, 
add insult to injury, he never he married he married a out of the out of the faith he married a non Jewish girl, and his children were now were now goyim as well. So he invested in a small fish business, which over time grew into a large successful enterprise. Now, years later, he was a wealthy Portuguese citizen who happened to have a biological Jewish So, let's now go back to Bnei Brak, where we said Chaim had bought a piece of, of land. Since he has not laid claim to it, so his, uh, you know, even though it was his real estate purchase, so according to Israeli law, it was up to the first person who claimed it, he could keep it. So two Torah organizations debated over its ownership, with each claiming that his organization had been there first. Back and forth, they presented their 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 uh, uh, cases before a judge, who uh, uh, yeah also had access to to Chaim's deeds on on the property. Apparently, the property belonged to a Belgian Jew who had purchased it in nineteen nineteen thirty five. We go back to Portugal where Chaim became interested in a small abandoned shul situated in the suburb where he lived. This shul was built prior to the Inquisition, making it approximately 500 years old. He decided to do one good thing with his now defunct (laughs) spiritual life and rebuild that shul. Having been made aware of the case that was going on in Bnei Brak over his property, he decided that he would use the proceeds of that sale, right, the money which would be paid by whatever institution was prepared to pay his asking price, to rebuild the shul. This came as a surprise to the members of the Jewish community who were well aware of his very, very, uh, uh, let's call it hefty financial uh, uh, portfolio. Why use the funds generated by the sale of land in Bnei Brak? He explains that he had once been a devout Jew, wholly committed to Torah study and mitzvah observance. It was during that period of his life when he felt that his relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu was on a good level, so he was acting in, 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 then at that time he was anti- acting with, uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's, uh, 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 commands, and once the, the, the war, uh, kind of ravaged European Jewry, it took its toll on his spiritual, uh, persona as well. That he had over the years distanced himself from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and he had profited financially from his decision to renege his spiritual affiliation with Yiddishkeit. When he felt strongly about his Jewishness, 
he acknowledged that his conduct over the past few years in the realm, in the realm of Ruchnius was less than acceptable. As such, he wanted to designate those funds earned from the monies he spent while his commitment to religious observance was unambiguous to be used to rebuild the shul. We can't judge a, a, a no fault any other and the other year, be a male or female who didn't practice as we do. Some never had access to a Jewish education. Others grew up at a time or in a place where being from was very, very difficult, almost uh, an insurmountable challenge. Some suffered more than the average person. We, we don't know. Whatever the reason, they still know and they still acknowledge their their ancestry. They just have a different way of expressing. By Baruch Hashem, whatever a person does, and he does it, anything, Hashem Shemayim, he gets benched from the Rebbein We'll be back in a moment. This is 11.9 FM, soul to soul. Please stay. There are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul on Erev Shabbos, Kurdish Pachas by Yakil Pakude. We're about to make a seum this week on Sefer Shemais. Wow, it's gone quickly. We just started Sefer Breshis, huh? And it's almost Pesach. It's Rosh Chedish Nisan on Sunday. So let's take something nice on the Pasha and see if we can learn something interesting and relevant to to all, all of us. Says we know that in this week's Pasha, we, we learn again about the donations that were given for the building of the, of the Mishkan. And we're told also about the donations of the Nesim, of the princes of Klaiso for the Mishkan. It's mentioned in our Pasha. It says, Vanesim view. The Nesim brought Esavne Ashayam, the Shayam stones, Vesavne Ameluim, and the stones that were put in the settings for the Ephod and for the, the Choshen. And Rashi brings down on the words <laughs> How come when it came to the Chanukah Samishkan, when it came to the dedication of the, uh, the Mishkan half a year later, so then the, the Nisim were first, they were the first ones to bring Korbanus on the new, on the new Mizbeach. And by the Mishkan, they were the last to give. So they said, said the Nesim said as follows, let all the other people in the community donate whatever they're going to donate. And whatever is lacking at the end, we'll write a check and we'll make up the whole difference. But since the Tzibur actually brought everything that was needed for the Mishkan, as the Pesach says, what they donated was absolutely enough. So now the Nasim said, what are we going to do? So they brought the Avnei Shayam and the Avnei Miluim. And therefore, when it came second time around for the Chanukah and Mishkan, they were going to be first in the queue. And they got there, they got before anybody else. 
but because there was an element of laziness in the donations to the Mishkan, says Rashi, their, their name, Nesim, is spelt without a Yud. And there should be a Yud between the word, the Sin and the Aleph, and it's, and it's missing. Now, from this Medrash, it seems to come out that the donation of the Shayam stones is a, is a kind of a, a last ditch donation relative to everything else. Because from the Nesim, we would have hoped that they would give something much, much more, much bigger, much, much uh, more, more numerous, much, much more generous. And the criticism on them is why do they stand on the on the sides and wait to see what, what what's going to be missing? And that's what he says because they were lazy at the beginning. They lost this letter from from their name. Now, uh, the the question is why was it Dafka the letter Yud? That is missing from their, their name of, of the Nasim. So the Kliyakar brings down the reason why the Yud specifically is missing because HaKadosh Baruch Hu says in Tehillim, Givai someone who is haughty, arrogant, Urachav Levav, and, and, and has a voracious, uh, heart, Oisai Loi Uchal. I am not able to deal with such a person. And by the Nesim, there was, without a doubt, some little bit of arrogance, where they were kind of saying, as a way of kind of, you know, uh, uh, well, who, how is it possible that the whole nation is going to be able to to uh, 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 give everything? For sure there's going to be lacking, they're not so, so great, and we'll step in and do all, all the difference. Right? We'll, we'll fill in whatever is a is, uh, is missing. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu took from their name specifically the Ois Yud, says the Kliyaka. Why? Because if you take the word Nesim, the only letter in the word Nesim that also is part of Hashem's name, right, the Yud and the, and the He and the Vav and the He, is the Yud. And therefore, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu took away from them to tell them, uh-uh, it doesn't belong here. Arrogant people and me, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we can't live in the same world. And therefore I'm taking my, the letter of my name out of their, out of their name. And, uh, this statement of the Nasim that they're going to fill everything that the, the community would not give, there is a degree of, of arrogance and, and self-aggrandizement. And therefore this letter was taken away from the name. And the only letter that is the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that is the Yud, and that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu took that, uh, took that away. In fact, as the, the Gemara in Saita says, says Rav Chista, or some say Ma'okva, call Adam Shigesh by Gassah anyone who has arrogance, Am HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem says, Ein Ani We cannot live together in this, in this, uh, in this world. Right? And, and, and obviously the question is because an arrogant person thinks he is the center of the universe. Means he is Akadosh Baruch Hu. And Hashem says, one second. Am I the center of the universe or are you the center of the universe? One of us has to leave. And since the Rabbanishim has a bit of a track record, 
and he's a little bit uh, uh, more more senior than we are, uh, uh, he's going to win such a tug, such a tug of war. Kriyaka actually writes this elsewhere in 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 Pasha's Truma also, where it says Zeis. It, it lists all the items that they they donated. Zav, Kesev, and Choshes, right? Going all the way through. And the last things I mentioned are the Avni Shoyim and Avni Muluim for the Choshen and the, and the Ephod. And he says that the Avni Shoyim and Avni Muluim really, even, even though they're, they're mentioned at the end, even though probably on, on, on a, on a financial value, they're probably even more valuable and they should have come first even before the, the, the gold. Right? And, and therefore again, it's, uh, like he says that they mentioned the donation of the Nisim last because their arrogance brought them to this point where they only donated at the end and, uh, and kind of, you know, felt they were going to be the ones who were going to save the day when, when the rest of Christ fell short and didn't do what was, what needed to, to, uh, to be, to be doing. Right. Um, Okay, and and this this is again a lack of uh, anava, an arrogance, and that's why Hashem took away that that name. Now, the financially valuable donation of the Nesim, which they arrogantly uh, gave, so it, it's it's at the very end of, of the list, and and the oisyud of their name is 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 missing, just to teach us how. Uh, detested this attribute of arrogance is and how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves someone who is in fact a modest person. Famous Gemara in Kedushin Daf Lamadal tells the story. They ask Rabbi Eliezer, how far does the mitzvah of Kibbut of Im go? So he said to him, go and see what a certain non-Jew did for his father in the city of Ashkelon. And his name was Dama ben Nasina, where the Chachamim asked him for some stones for the ephod and for a profit of 600,000 uh, rubles profit. And Rav Kahana says it was actually 800,000 profit. And the key to the safe was under the head of his father and he didn't want to wake his father up and therefore they went somewhere else and didn't do the deal, says the Lord, the next year, Kodesh Baruch Hu gave him his reward that a, a, a Poraduma, a red heifer, was born into his flock. And again, the Chachm Yisrael came to him and said to him, I know that if I, I could ask any amount of money in the world for this cow, and you'll give it to me. But all I'm asking is whatever profit I lost by not waking my father when you came to ask for the for the for the stones. Now, interesting. This same story is actually brought also in the Yerushalmi uh, uh, Talmud with several changes. The most uh, uh, visible of those changes is that when the Chacham came, they weren't coming to buy stones for the Ephod, where there are only two of such stones. But rather they wanted to buy the Yoshpe stone, which is one of the stones on the Choshen, right? And it actually was the stone 
of Binyamin, on which the name of Binyamin was written, and they had lost that stone. Now, the story in Yushalayim was, one time they lost the Yoshbeh stone of the Choshen, with Binyamin's name on it, and they said, who has such a stone that we could never could buy? So they said, Domo Benesina has such a stone. So they went to him and they made an agreement to buy it for a hundred dinar. And he went to be, to bring it and he found that his father was sleeping. So some say the, the key to the safe was, uh, under, uh, under, in his, in his fingers. His father was holding it. And some say that his father's legs were, were lying on the box. So he went back to them and he said to them, I'm sorry, I can't bring it to you. So the Chachamim said, maybe he would want that you should, uh, maybe, maybe the reason you're saying no is because you want more money. Maybe we should up the price. So they raised the price to a hundred dinner and they kept raising it to a thousand dinner. And he would not prepare to sell it to them. And when his father woke up, so then the non-Jew went up and he brought them the, the Yoshbe, the Yoshbe stone. Chachamim wanted to give him, uh, uh, the, the amount that they had agreed on at the end, a thousand denarim. And he would not prepare to accept only what they had agreed on originally, which was the hundred denarim. So he said to them, uh, uh, should I sell it to you? Uh, 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 the honor of my father for money? Is that, is that something that you can translate into a monetary amount? I'm not, I'm not gonna have any benefit from the fact that I honored my, my father. Uh, what did our Kaddish Baruch Hu give him as rewards? So it says, Yesi, the son of Abun, that night, uh, he had a Pora Aduma and Klaiso Weighed out its weight in gold, and 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 they gave it to him. Says our Shabbat says in Eiv, umishpat v'roiv tzedaka lo yaane. Someone who does fairly and gives tzedaka will never will never uh, 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 suffer. Uh, doesn't delay the giving of rewards of someone who does uh, uh, mitzvahs, uh, certainly amongst the non-Jews. He pays their reward off right away in this, in this, uh, in this world. So, and, and, and Taisvis brings there in, in, in Zara that he wants to compare the, the story in the Talmud Babli with the story in the Yushami because that which it says in the Talmud Babli that they were looking for stones for the ephod. So what they mean is, not the ephod, but the choshen, which is connected to the to the ephod. He says it would seem that this story of Dama Benesina wasn't talking about the Avne Hashayam; it was talking about the Avonim of the choshen. And even though it says in the Gemara they were looking for Avonim for the ephod, we could say that since the choshen is connected to the ephod, their hooks and 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 and. Uh, Strings that connect them together, so they call the Choshen the Ephod. And so it seems also in the Yushami, uh, that, uh, they bring the, also that story of Dhamma Benesina and, and, uh, uh, regarding, regarding the fact that 
the stone from the Choshen was was uh, was lost. The uh, the Shevet Musa uh, uh, brings down. He brings the the, the opinion of the Marash that he asked the question. Now this whole story of Ben Benesina was during the time of the second Besamikdash. Because only then did they need another para para aduma. If so, how could they have uh, engraved on the stone that they bought from him the name of Binyamin? And the second Besamikdash, they didn't have a, 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 it didn't have a, uh, a, a, the worm, the Shamir worm in the second base of Mikdash. And therefore, how are they going to engrave the name Binyamin on, on the stone? All the engraving was done by this, uh, by this Shamir. And in fact, uh, that's why he asks, right? If the Afar, there was the name of Binyamin was engraved on the Yashbe. And even though it's impossible to just engrave with a tool, it has to be, as the Gemara says in Saita, you would, you would trace the, the, the words out in ink, and then you would show them the, the Shamir way to go, and it would, it would then etch the letters into, into, into the stone. And this took place in the second Beis HaMikdash. How do we know, since it says that they bought from Dama Benesina a Poraduma, and in the Bayes Rishon, they never made a new paraduma during the entire bias rishon, right? The the the, the Ezra, the second paraduma, the one after the one Moshe Rabbeinu made, was made by Ezra, as as the as the Mishnah in in Paraparikimol says. So this was in the second base of Mikdash. How could it be they didn't have a Shamir in the second base of Mikdash? He answers. He says it's not difficult though, because it's possible. That there was a Shamir in the second, uh, in the second base of one that they actually had preserved and kept all the way dating back to the time of Shlomo Melech until the Chorban of the second, uh, base of Ah, it says in the Mishnah in Saita that once the base of was destroyed, the Shamir was no longer there. So he said, yeah, that means the second Besamekas. After the destruction of Besamekas, the second Besamekas, there was no longer a Shamir. As, as, uh, as, uh, as Taisvis says. And even though that there was no, uh, 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 purpose for the Avne Ephod in the, in the, uh, in the Bayashani, because there was no Urim Vitumim, right? So there was, the, the purpose of the letters was to be able to be used when they asked Shilas to the to the Urmatumim, but in the second Besamikdash, the name of Akharish Brok that was folded inside the Aron, the inside the the uh wasn't there. Because when the Navim died, the Urmatumim was no longer present. And which means at the end of the first uh uh Mikdash, as Tyson says, nevertheless, they still needed Avanim for the Ephod, because if you didn't have those stones, then the kind God will not be wearing the the proper the proper clothing. So that's what he brings. However, the the Shevet Musa argues on him, and he holds that really in the second base of Mikdash there wasn't this worm 
called the Shamir, uh, uh, who would be able to engrave on the stone of Binyamin, the, 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 the word Binyamin. But, he says there was no need for a Shamir. Why? Because there's actually another way to engrave on the stones. And this is what the Shemir Musa says. says, I want to suggest that there's no need to put ourselves in the situation and say that there was, there was a Khurban and say that when it says that the, that the, uh, Shamir was no longer there when the base mikdash was destroyed, it's talking about the second base mikdash. Really, already after the first base mikdash, the Shamir dis- disappeared. I, so w- w- when they needed Avonim for the Ephod and the Bayashani, and without that, you had to have the stones because otherwise the Kayan wouldn't be wearing the proper clothing. So there was a way to do it, to engrave them by using the blood of goats. That when you put the blood on a certain kind of uh, sapphire stone, which is called diamante, so that cuts into the stone which could never be done. No, no iron could do that. What you do when you place this blood of the goat on, on the, on that. And, and, and it, it, it could do exactly as the Shamir did. In fact, uh, uh, the, the Kriyaka writes in Melochem Aleph, he says that, uh, in the name of the, of the, uh, Barbanel, and that, and that, uh, there was such a concept in the second English of using this, this blood instead of the, uh, the, the Shamir, right? But once he says that, that there's this possibility of using the blood, so he has a question. If so, what do you need the Shamir at all? You could have used the blood all the time. Why? You didn't need the, the Shamir in the, in, in the first place. Why do they have to have it in the time of, of, uh, of Shlomo Melech? And, and we had to have this whole story where you had to go and find Ashmedai and find out where, where the place was and the whole drama that, that happened over there. And guys, he had to, uh, he had to send to, to, to Gan Eden to bring it, bring it there. They could have done it all the time using the blood of, of goats. And, and secondly, why not Kurdish to even create the Shamir on Erev Shabbos Ben, Ben Ashmashas as the, as the assassin in Perkeyavis, in order to be able to, uh, prepare the best mikdash. It was simply they could have done it with this, this blood. And maybe the answer is that in reality, they could have used the goat blood. But Hashem wanted to teach us a lesson. Don't be arrogant. Let that little worm, that little worm that, that is so insignificant can accomplish even more. And therefore, the stones that the Nisim brought, but they're brought with arrogance. The tikkun for that, the way to fix that up is specifically to have them cut by the Shamir, which is the most nondescript and the, and the smallest and most inconspicuous of all of all creatures. We'll be back in a moment. This is one one point nine high FM soul to soul. Please stay with us. There's lots more to come. There are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM.
101.9 Chai FM, Soul to Soul, year-round Friday afternoon, in a still quite warm March, Johannesburg, day as we prepare for an amazing big Shabbos, Shabbos Kodesh Pashas, Vayakel Pekude, we're going to make a seum on Sefer uh, Shmois already, and there's a special laning of Pashas HaKodesh, and Rosh Chodesh benching, and Rosh Chodesh will be Metzim tomorrow night. So much going on, and of course we're going into Chodesh Nisim, which is Rosh Chodeshim, the chief of all the months, the months that gives the whole year its its flavor of, of Malchus, of, of majesty, of creation, of, of the beginning, of the ability to start all over, over again. And of course, as we always do at uh, at this time on the, the program, to uh, share with you the the uh, earliest the times for this coming this coming Shabbos. So of course we have now left our summer station of of six fifteen, and we're beginning to venture in the waters that will very very co- shortly bring us to to uh, to winter. So the actual uh, earliest time for the uh, uh, for the lighting of Shabbos candles uh, this this week is about uh, just after ten past five. You can already light your Shabbos candles. And again, as I always urge you, let's push for it. Let's really try to get our our Fridays organized. Try to be get things done maybe earlier in the week, try to maybe start making Shabbos before Thursday night at 11 o'clock. Wouldn't that awesome people that do that? I'm not, I'm not saying anyone of our radio listenership does something like that, but let's try to move the whole process up so we can really be a little bit more relaxed as we go into, in, into Shabbos. The latest time for Lick's mention this week for getting the candles on is at 6.09. Nine minutes past six is the latest time for lighting Lighting one's candles. Shkia then is at 627. 27 minutes past six. If you want to daven then, for, therefore, uh, a mire of bismani and not have to repeat the Shema. You just have to wait till quarter to seven. And then you can say the Shema and not have to repeat it. Not have to repeat it, uh, uh, again. Tomorrow is a big Shabbos here in Johannesburg and everywhere. In the world, firstly, we have a, a huge double pasha. It's uh, probably the uh, the mother of all of all lanings, uh, pashas vayakel and pakude together. And if that's not enough, we have this week the fourth of the special readings that we read around this time of year. This is pashas achodesh, where we have described in detail the laws and and preparation for the carbon pesach, which bears Hashem two weeks. From today, we're going to be organizing to be in Yushalayim and, and be able to bring it, uh, uh, two weeks from tomorrow on Erev Pesach, which is Shabbos. We're going to be able to shecht that, that, uh, that Korban Pesach. So all the alakas, Moshe Benu's, uh, uh, transmitting to the Jewish nation what they had to do, how they would eat the Korban Pesach, how they would shecht it, etc., etc., is all in this week's laning, some of the laws of Chomets also. So this is the first real herald. That Pesach is is uh, is is coming. The special Haftarah is the Haftarah then for Pasha Zachodesh, which begins with the words Kol Amoretz. Uh, uh, then, of course, it is Shabbos Mavarchim, 
uh, and not just not Rosh Chodesh is not long in coming. Rosh Chodesh is actually on Moitzah Shabbos and Sunday as we usher in the the month of uh, of, of Nisan. In fact, the the Moilad, the new cycle of the month that is Chodesh Nisan, will actually be on Moitzah Shabbos at uh, nineteen o three and five five Chalakim. So it's uh, really. As Rosh Chodesh starts, the Moilad, the Moilad, uh, uh, kicks, kicks, uh, kicks in. So Rosh Chodesh, then on, on Sunday, just a one day, just a one day Rosh Chodesh, uh, uh, this, 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 this month. Um, and therefore, right, already we obviously will not say, uh, Avrachamim or, or, or even Sitkascha by Mincha. Uh, Shabbos Kodesh ends at 6.57, three minutes before seven is the end of, of Shabbos, and then we get catapulted right into Kodesh Nisan, and uh, there's still a while left of Pesach, no need to panic and, and, and kind of get, get upset about it. We have two whole weeks in which to prepare ourselves and get everything, get everything uh, ready, and please make sure you listen. I'm sure we've had on Chai FM programs where they go through the laws of how to prepare your house and, and your kitchen. Uh, if not, then please let me know and we can devote next week's show to it, but I'm sure it is, it is, uh, it is happening. We are actually still dealing, with, nearly finished with the laws of Cholomoy, which is really quite appropriate since, of course, uh, Pesach comes complete with a four-day Cholomoy, actually four weekdays uh, this year, so it's really, really, really good. So, we're talking about again the things you can and cannot do on, on, uh, on Chalamait. So, the halacha says that one would not be allowed to build even a shul on, on Chalamait. And even if at that point in time, the community doesn't even have a very, very nice place to daven in. They're davening in someone's lounge or something like that. And if we really pushed, kind of the shul's getting done, and if we really, really pushed, we might be able to finish the job and still be able to daven there, let's say for the last days of, of Yom Tiv, Still, it is forbidden to build it on Cholamoyed because I mean, obviously, the building of a structure of a building definitely involves professional uh, a type of type of work, which we said is only allowed in a situation where it's uh, it is a physical need that a person has on Cholmoyed, as the Ramah said. Only then is Melechas Umnus allowed on uh, on on Cholmoyed. Now, Lacha they discuss. Would it be possible maybe to get a non-Jew to do it? That's a separate, separate, uh, 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 discussion. However, if you have a situation of a community that's already dominant in a, in a, in a shul, they have a shul, and now let's say there's been a short, there's been some problem with the, uh, with the electricity or maybe with the, the air con or something like that and it's going to cause people a lot of discomfiture. Shul's going to get very, very hot. Or there's not going to be lighting or something like that. So that would be allowed to be fixed on Cholomoyed 
even if it involves professional professional uh, uh, labor. Because since they already started to daven, they've already used that shul in the in the past, and and they're going to really be be suffering and and putting up with a a difficulty if there's no lights or there's no aircon or something like that. So there, the repair of that uh, of that situation is considered a physical need for yomtiv, and and therefore it would be it would be uh, permitted to be done on uh, on 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 in the same way as that it's uh, forbidden to build a shul on Cholmoyed, so too it would be forbidden, let's say, to build or to fix a a school building or or any other uh, 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 structure that's needed for the the community. Again, because since their their construction involves professional work, which is only allowed for a physical need on the, on the, on on Yantif. However. If there is a a need to let's say uh, uh, do some repairs on let's say a school building, or or maybe in some of the the, the finish the finishings of or, or fittings of the of the school, or maybe you need to paint the walls or something like that. And if they're going to push off the work until after Yom Tov, it's going to cause even a minimal level. Of bittul Torah to the Tamilim, they're going to have to go somewhere else or not be able to learn. That they won't be able to learn properly in their in their classrooms or in the base base medrash. Then you would be allowed to do those repairs on on uh, on Cholmite because that is a davra of it to to put someone in a situation where they're not going to be able to learn. There's no greater davra of it than than uh, than than that. If at all possible, one should try to to uh, hire someone who literally needs the money to be able to put keep body and soul together, or through a uh, the offices of a nanjul. A good Shabbos to one and all. There are thirty nine milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. One one point nine High FM. The program is Soul to Soul. We are back on your radio for one more little segment here in Johannesburg on Erev Shabbos Kodesh Pashas by Yakel Bogud. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I hope you've learned uh, something and can take it with you, and maybe even say it over at your Shabbos uh, table. And remember, we spoke. We started. We start off with a nice little story about uh, the greatness of. Our women, we spoke uh, about uh, the the fact that when a person does something with shame shamayim, uh, he gets a bracha, even no matter what his position in life is. And we spoke about the nesim and the little four pile they made, and the way it had to be fixed up through the use of the of the of the shamir. But we are learning now the laws of cholamoy. We're talking about if you need to make repairs. On let's say a school building, where if you don't do it now, it's going to mean that the Talmudim are somehow going to be disadvantaged and not be able to learn properly after Yom Tov. There'll be painting, there'll be noise, 
then then you're allowed to do that on Chalmai is considered then a Dovra of it. There's nothing more terrible to lose than time and ability to to learn and study Torah uh, 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 properly. Uh, if at all possible, one should try to do the work bitsina quietly without drawing too much attention uh, uh, to what one is what is doing. If you have a roof, now we know a roof, a flat roof, requires a maka, requires a parapet around it. So let's say, God forbid, you have a roof and the parapet fell down uh, sometime over over uh, Yontif. So if you could just sort of close off the whole roof so that no one would have any access to get to it, the whole uh, Yontif, and, and avoid the danger totally, then uh, you'd be allowed to do that. You could f- close that door, lock that door, even and, and even if it involves a non-professional work, because we already learned that it's one's allowed to do on cholamayit a non-professional work if there's a, a, a need to to do a, a mitzvah. And certainly, putting up a maka is certainly a, uh, a a mitzvah. If you cannot fix it up by just some a manual labor, so then you need to really, you know, if, if the, if the maka can be fixed without professional work, then, then do it. If not, one should lock up the, the, the whole roof and, and deny access to it. And when you, it's not possible to close the roof and there is a, a real life suspicion that someone who could or would go up to the roof could be in a situation of uh, of danger, so that then is also uh, uh, becomes a mitzvah averus, as we discussed last week, a mitzvah that has to be done right now. It cannot be delayed. We cannot allow someone to be in a situation of of danger, and you'll be allowed to fix that that parapet, even if it involves professional labor on the on 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 holidays. So that's that's in terms of building. And repairs and, and things like that. About ends our time this week. Just the chance to wish you all an amazing, amazing good Shabbos and a good Chodesh afterwards. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our radio family. Have an inspired, warm, beautiful, unified Shabbos. And to each and every one of our radio family.